Connecting to the big show. Friday. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Friday. It's got a feeling about it, doesn't it? Good morning to you. I want to start off. Thank you, Vic. I'll be breaking down the numbers later on for Cork, as I often do on a Friday. And the headline story in the news is not a true reflection of how well we're doing in Cork. In fact, I cannot believe how well we are doing in Cork with regard to the virus, even even with a little spike from construction returning and the little spike from people going back to work and the spike, little spike from people going back to school. We're still punching well above our weight in Cork, and we should be so proud of ourselves. I'll develop that in a little while. Also, our friend John Campbell has mentioned the programme on his latest video and spoken about what happened last week when he asked the question about injections and we got that up into the Oireachtas. I mentioned all that as well during the morning and nurses are still coming to us. Nurses are coming to us and saying quietly, we think John is right. That's all to come. I want you to do a favour for me, though, first this morning before we kick off with anything. And that is, I want you to go to YouTube and I want you to look up the Arpademia Harp Competition. But bear with me now. Bear with me, all right? Harp is our national instrument. And there is a beautiful harpist from Cork, from Kinsale, in fact. Lahan Kiley. And she's in the Arpademia Harp Competition. And it's online, and you can go online, and you can vote for her. I want you to do that. She's in this massive world harp competition, and if you go to YouTube and you just Google Cat C. Lehan Kiley, Cat C. Lehan Kiley, and then click the thumbs up on her YouTube video. All right? There she is. like her to do really well at the Arpademia World Harp Competition. So you go to Cat C. You don't need to know anything about harps. You don't need to know anything about her. You just need to know that she's from Cork and she's taken part in one of the biggest harp competitions in the world. And we'd like her to do very, very well. Cat C. Lehan Coyley. Google it and just follow it and click thumbs up on her YouTube. It, starting with that because it's nice and it's Friday. And we like to be nice on a Friday. Now, Breda has contacted us about vaccination centres. And we had Fiona during the week with a great report from City Hall about how that centre was was working. And we've had reports from Parky Cueve. And we've had reports from the one out at CIT or MTU, as we're supposed to call it now. And everyone seems to talk about how well they're treated. And everyone seems to talk about how pleasant the staff are and how you're taken and guided, and that it all seems to work so well, and everyone's pleased. But Breda, I think you you don't agree with it, do you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. 
Hi. Your, your, your thing, there's a bit of a positive spin being put on this. Is that what you're saying to me? No, it's, it, my point is um, certainly the, 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 the staff, the stewards, everybody that you meet there are absolutely wonderful, most, most courteous and polite to everybody and most helpful. But it's just the whole organisation of the thing from my own experience in Parky Creeve. And it's just that you're queuing for such a a length of time. And I honestly think it's an admin situation rather than anything else. Because you queue for an hour, maybe you get into the centre, you are taken upstairs, you sit on a chair, somebody hands you a sheet of paper, you fill in your name, your address, um, your telephone number, your PPS number, your mother's maiden name. And... um, then you go to one of the maybe eight or ten computers that are there that are manned probably by um, HSE staff, I'm not sure, but they're, they're manned anyway. And you give, she takes all the details, that girl, from that. And then you go, she tells you where to go for your vaccine. But it's the amount of time that's spent on the admin that when you are actually, when you register or when you are called for your vaccine, why not, why not take all those details then? And when you go to a place like Parky Cleave or City Hall or wherever, you all you need is your admin and some ID. And right. I think it would speed up things much more. I mean, the cohort of people you're talking about are the 60 to 69-year-olds mm. who are standing for possibly two hours. Yeah. It's that, that's really my question. Everything else. We are hearing a lot about people queuing. And one of the... And, and as I passed City Hall yesterday on my way home, I noticed there was quite a queue. Yes, two hours a friend of mine spent at the City Hall on Wednesday. Yeah. You know, I think it's the, it's the age group. It's our age group. Is, is it necessary to have people standing that length of time? And I honestly think that it's because details have to be taken and things. It's quite easy to do that over, over the phone or when you register, give all your details. I know for a fact that some GP surgeries mm. are doing this and you're giving all your details online. Now, that's a very good idea, Breda. And do they not do that? Like, when you go online onto the portal, I won't be going onto that, I'd say, for a long time yet because they're not even looking at my age group yet. Right. Um, but when I go on and, and I go to book in for myself, they, what do they take from you? They take your name and address, I think, and they take your PPS number and your air code, as far as I know. Right, right. But you see, all that paperwork is totally unnecessary. Handing out sheets of paper and then you go to the the computer and the girl in the computer puts all this into the computer. My God, that could all be done. Well, you're, you're not wrong because you could put your PPS number in, you could put the date of birth, you could put all that information in and then you'd be given a reference number and when you go to the centre, you yes, show them your reference number and some ID. Yeah, and they should have point. it all on the computer. They should. And to be less work for the staff there, for all the stewards who are standing all the time and being extremely helpful and courteous and polite to people, the people, the vaccinators. Mm. Um, like, all doing their apart job. from the paperwork, was your own experience a good one? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't say otherwise. My experience with everyone that I met from once I got to Parkinson's and got to Science of Vaccination Centre was absolutely perfect. I mm. couldn't say a word about any one of them. Right. It's the hold up. It's the hold up with that type. Do you of thing. know something? Yeah, I think you might be onto something, Breda, because 
all you've given me there, like they take your PPS, they take your mother's maiden. Why do they want your mother's maiden name of no absolutely, idea? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know I mean, I mean, my, my, put it this way: my my mom's had her her two doses at this good. stage. Like oh, my, my my nana died in 1980. Like what is the, what is the point? Or 1980 <laughs> something? Like what what is the point? I, I t- could not make sense of it to tell you the truth. I, no, I just... Someone, I'm sure, I'm sure some civil servant has an answer. Um, but all the information they want, you could probably enter into the portal or give over the telephone, and then you get a reference number. So they would say to you, right, Breda, your reference number is. I don't know, ABC123. Yeah. And when you come down to the centre, just give us your reference number, have some photo ID. Um, that seems to make an incredible amount of sense, Absolutely. which is probably why it'll never happen. Your PPS number would be just quite sufficient. You'd Once think you- that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because your PPS is connected to your date of birth, isn't it? They can find that from your PPS. Absolutely, absolutely. And even this morning now I hear they're advertising the 64-year-olds to register. 68-year-olds have registered since the day week and any any of them haven't been called. Yeah, well, I think think to be fair, they did say that at the start. They said that you can register now and it'll take a little while for you to be called. Yes, yes. But you're registered, so you get a day for everyone to register. Yeah. And like when it gets to my age group, obviously I'll go in. I'll be, I'll be. Oh, geez, I'll be there at a minute past midnight, right? <laughs> and we're all very, we're all very grateful to get it. Don't get me wrong. Ah, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. We're extremely grateful, but I do think. And another suggestion, maybe as well, PJ. I was thinking when I was looking at all this when I was there in Parky Creeve, and I thought if all if one member of the extra member of staff was put into GP surgeries at local level, if they had room, some surgeries don't have any room, hmm. extra room. I think that. You'd, 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 you'd stop this herding of people together. It can't be good. The tiny problem that you have with that is, again, some of the surgeries are very small. And yes. moreover, yes. if someone is getting a Pfizer or a Moderna, I'm not entirely sure about the AstraZeneca. I think that lasts a bit longer outside mm-hmm. of the deep freeze. But if you, mm-hmm. if, if you are giving out Pfizer, you, you need certain refrigeration facilities yes. in the and surgeries. they may not have that, yeah, they yeah, may not yeah. have that. But no, that's just, that, that's just, I suppose, what I'm kind of thinking is, you're talking about the smooth running of, of things rather than, than, you know, the herding of people together. If it can be avoided. Do you know what, I, 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 think you've, I think you've really come up with an idea and I don't know whether, how, how far upstairs we can push it, but yes, maybe, maybe one of our Maybe one of our politicians is listening and, and, and last week on this programme something occurred and we were able to push it upstairs very quickly. Yes. Now, the yes. answer didn't, wasn't too happy. Yes, but and I appreciate as well, PJ, that all this is very new. Yes. And it's not so easy when, when you start out, you know, to do, to do these things. But I think the amount of people that sit down a lot of the time to work these things out, you know, should be able to sort of... <laughs> think on, on, on them and see that mm. why hurt so many people together in one yeah. corner yeah. Well, what's coming to my mind, Breda, is and God, do you remember the time when we used to book flights to go on our summer holidays? Do you remember that do. distant, distant <laughs> past? You do, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you'd go in to Ryanair or Rare Lingus and you'd get onto the website and you'd book your flight and you'd book your bag and you'd whatever, and you pay, and what you get? You get an email with a number in it. And That's from that day to the day you fly, that number is yeah. the key. Absolutely. It should be so easy to do that in a vaccination programme. I agree with you completely. It should. It should. It should, it should really. That's, that's, I, I think, the very thing. But that's not the way things happen, is it? Good for you, Breed. You know, a, a fantastic call, Breed. You were very happy with the staff, very happy. Oh, well, we all right afterwards, by the way. 
I was absolutely perfect. I got the AstraZeneca and I'm perfect three weeks today. I got today and I'm absolutely perfect. I couldn't say I couldn't say anything. And I will say again, PJ, that the staff they yes. were my God, they were so, so, so helpful. They were they were extremely courteous to everybody, helped anybody that had the situation. Now I do know a friend of mine who is not able to stand because of medical condition or whatever and they did offer a wheelchair yeah. but at sixty eight years of age. <laughs> to be sitting in a wheelchair. But if you were brand I'm new, not sitting in that. <laughs> Do you think I'm an old one or what? I know, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, every one of them are so courteous. Get up into the vaccination centre and they're extremely polite and courteous. They explain to you what, what's happening and I think you couldn't get, you couldn't ask for better than that, I will have to say. Right. Fantastic call and okay. we'll put it out there and see what people okay. think. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Paper. Lovely talk. Have a, have, a nice, have a nice Friday and I hope that you get your second vaccine quick and fast and that you're ready to get back into society. Thank you, Breda. What a fabulous call. She's very happy with the staff. She's very happy with the results of her vaccine. She feels fine. The information that they take in the portal, so the PPS, date of birth, mother's maiden name, why they want that, I have no idea. Can anybody explain? Her argument is that you could put all of that in when you book it online. And like happens when you book a flight, you get a reference number. And then on the morning that you go or the day you go for your vaccine, you quote your reference number, you show your ID and Bob's your uncle and Mary's your auntie and no need queuing up for paperwork. Caller says, I have four children, two work in the... Uh, I, that's being still typed. People were advised, says this caller, to bring photo ID. Many people brought a passport and your PPS number isn't on it. It goes a lot more smoothly if you bring a dole card. Breeders' other points about duplication are taken on, but the queues get very bad if they randomly come across a batch of people who use passport IDs. Simple. The simple thing there, caller, is you give them a list of what they can bring. And I don't see why, well, actually, I, I have one. And all the fuss and kerfuffle about it, uh, I still got one. I have a public services card. Um, and, hey, oh, everything you want should be on that. Anyone over the age of 65 is drawing a pension or anyone on free travel, or in, they all have a public services card. Why can't they use that? PJ, myself and my husband were vaccinated yesterday. I was at City Hall during the morning. My husband has hit at Parky Cueve in the afternoon. All the staff were helpful and pleasant in both places. My husband has mobility issues, so we were offered a wheelchair. A very nice young man called Ferdia accompanied us through the whole process. We want to say a big thank you to him and to everybody involved. When I registered, says this phone call, they took all that information online and you just show your passport. Perhaps that's the difference between the GP and the hospital and the e-portal, which seems to be the way to go. Some people gave the information to their to their GP and that was all put through for them, yeah. Philomena was happy with it. It was in and out in 20 minutes. It's not always like that in Parky Cueve. I'm surprised to hear it. Uh, there you go. 1850-715-996. But could you kind of squeeze down the paperwork a bit? Give you a very... Simple and practical example. As you know, I do the occasional bit of couch surfing on the Today Show and RTE with Maura and Dahi. And you know what? They sometimes are even silly enough to pay me for it. But when you go in there, we used to fill out a big form. And there'd be this on it and that on it and the other on it. And then they realised, hang on a second, there's an easier way to do this. So now what I do is I go in and I write down a code number 
sign the form and off it goes. There's no nonsense. And you could do the same here. You could take all those layers of paperwork out of it, I think. Anyone that's been through it and anyone that's cared to comment on it. 1850-715-996. Something I want you to think about uh, for later on this morning is this councillor in Limerick. He's a former mayor of Limerick. His name is Liam Galvin. And he says that it's about time we started fining parents for the wrongdoings of their youngsters. And he's asked the Justice Minister, Liam or Helen McEntee, he's a member of Fine Gael, he's asked the Justice Minister to bring in legislation that would take money from parents, either from a salary or social welfare, if their child should misbehave. The idea being that, look, there's no point really in trying to fine youngsters. 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds. There's no point in doing anything with them because you can do nothing. But Councillor Galvin is saying, well, if little so-and-so's 15 and he's out of order in town, you can't do much with him or her, but you could find the parent. You could hit the parent with a 50 euro fine or a 100 euro fine and it might force a bit of cop on into the conversation. That, I think, I would like to hear what you think about that. Is it about time, as this councillor in Limerick reckons that it is, is it about time the law was changed so that if a youngster is causing trouble in town, be it around the time of COVID-19 or not around the time of COVID-19, it has nothing to do with COVID-19. If a youngster is causing trouble around the place, the guards presently are pretty much powerless to do anything about it because of the legislation. So why not change the law and fine the parents. What would you think? I'd like to know. 83 
Yes, good morning, PJ. This man was called John Faulkner. He's originally from Tralee in County Kerry, but he's currently living at St. Louis in Cork City. And he had pleaded not guilty to three charges, one of burglary at the home of an elderly couple outside Fremount in North Cork in October 2019. The other two charges were endangerment and dangerous driving. Now, the trial began here at Cork Circuit Criminal Court earlier in the week, and yesterday the jury of seven men and five women found him unanimously guilty on all three charges. Um, It was the state's case in this um, trial that John Faulkner was the driver involved in an operation targeting an elderly couple Um, and the Gardaí became aware of the the planned burglary and they liaised with the couple and when the couple went to evening mass on the Saturday, the guards were watching the house and while they there um, the car pulled up and two men got out of the car um, and during this time an unmarked guard of the car came along and um, spotted John Faulkner in the car and began a chase and John Faulkner was seen driving um, out the Bantier Road, he overtook a car on a bend, on the inside of a bend um, and he also drove through Bantier Village at speeds of up to 150 kilometres an hour so the the overtaking on the bend was the endangerment charge and the driving through Bantier at speed was the dangerous driving charge. And um, John Faulkner's defence said that he had uh, no involvement in this planned operation, that he was dropping the two men to the house, but he had no idea why they were going there. And they said that because the guard of the car was unmarked, he believed that it was somebody involved in an ongoing feud and that he was being followed and he was trying to get away from them. And um, the jury then, as I said, found him um, guilty on all three charges yesterday. And Judge Sean O'Donovan, he said that um, he he was saying that this was a planned, uh, targeted operation, that it was meticulous and devious. And he said that um, crimes like this, he, he was talking about the fact that um, John Faulkner as well during the trial had come out that he had um, been surveying elderly people in the area in the days before this operation. And he said that crimes like this, planned burglaries on elderly people living in rural parts of the country, bring terror to people. And he said that pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, it was causing communities to go into lockdown. And he he took into consideration um, all of the the evidence that was um, brought up in the trial. And he said that, and he took into consideration as well the fact that John Faulkner had 12 previous convictions. Mm. Two of them were for burglary. One was for um, a burglary similar to this of an elderly couple. Um, and he jailed him for 12 years. And he also disqualified for him from driving for 20 years. That's a hefty dip. 12 years. It is. It is. Wow. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he I think, though, the fact that he didn't uh, plead guilty as well went against him um, because his two accomplices in this did plead guilty for their part in this last year. And they were sentenced to nine years with two years suspended. So they're serving seven years in jail. I, I suppose the fact that he had pleaded not guilty and the fact that he had previous convictions for similar mm. offences, Judge Sean O'Donovan looked um, on this as a very, very serious. He, he described described it as being at the higher end of the scale when it comes to these type of burglaries. So, um, yeah, so John Faulkner now has begun that sentence. It was backdated to when he first went into custody on this, which was in October 2019. 
So, um, yeah, he, he's serving yeah. that sentence now. Okay. Yeah. 12 years um, in the slammer and 20 years off the road for mm-hmm. his part in Operation Evening Mass. Fiona, thank you very much. Fiona, our senior news correspondent, that case in the Cork Circuit Criminal Court. John Faulkner. Now, that's some decent sentencing in the courts. We hear so much about sentencing with which people are not happy. But for his part in that operation, John Faulkner has been jailed for 12 years, now dated back to 2019, and put off the road for 20 years by Judge Sean O'Donovan. 1850-715-996. Speaking of taking the law and using it, I want to know what you think of the councillor in Limerick, councillor Liam Galvin. I'm hoping to talk to him later on. The councillor in Limerick who says, if you can't take action against a youngster, take action, fine the parents. I'd like to know, before we talk to Councillor Galvin or before we talk to anybody else with regard to this story, what do you think? 15-year-old or 16-year-old or 17-year-old around town doing things they shouldn't, drinking in the streets or just, I hate to use the expression because I get an awful slagging for it, acting the maggot around town. There's not much that guards can do under law because they're all kids and they're all juvies and they're all underage. And they all know it, too. They all know it. But, slap a fine on the parents. What would you think? And he wants the Minister for Justice to look into it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. <laughs> The stars on one show. This is Dirlipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Hi, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Anne Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of the weekend. Get your new music fix on Cork's 96 FM's Hit Mix. Cork's 96 FM's Hit Mix. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI. Yo, what's good, Universe? It's 24K Golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This. This is Medusa. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks. On your radio, weeknights from 8. Don't, don't, don't stop, 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 Streaming online all the time on your phone, smart speaker, or at 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. We've been contacted um, by a woman who is a nurse in a vaccine clinic who I think would rather not give us her name, but we've got her verified that this is a genuine call. Good morning to you. Morning, how are you doing? Good. Now, you're you're in a vaccine clinic. We don't need to know which one. We don't even need to know your name. We've verified that off the air and we're happy with that. Yeah. But you've, you've got some tips for people who are coming to get their vaccines. Well, tips and just kind of clarification, because I know it's equally a nervous and exciting time for everyone because it's the first kind of touch of normality we've got in a long time. So I suppose the first thing is, and totally um, understandable, people don't have to be in a vaccination clinic 30 or 40 minutes before their appointment. You know, five or 10 minutes before is plenty. And that will initially stop, I suppose, the gatherings outside the clinic. And essentially allow for a better flow of traffic as well for people coming in and coming out. And I suppose the other thing is just to create um, a level of understanding and awareness. There, 
there's no fault to the system as I can see so far but I suppose the HSE are expecting vaccinators to give a vaccine every five minutes and that is so doable but for any person who hasn't had an allergic reaction before or hasn't had um, any adverse response to a medication we're asking them to be observed by a nurse for 15 minutes before they leave the premises. So that's 20 minutes per slot. But if at all you've ever had an adverse reaction to any medication before or you're slightly nervous or you feel you're a little bit anxious, we'll ask you to stay for 40 minutes. So let's say hypothetically you're scheduled for 10 o'clock in the morning but you're not actually in at 10. Perhaps someone just before you had a small bit of a reaction or had a small bit of nerves and we thought, you know, we'll hold on to them for a little longer until they feel comfortable leaving. So that's unfortunately where the lag is coming in the system. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. it's a tendency, I guess, people are so, you know, they're so happy for the oh, most part to be getting this. So if you get your appointment at 10 o'clock, yeah. uh, there's a, it's kind of, right, I'm going along at half nine now to make sure <laughs> yeah. I'm grand and early. You don't have yeah. to do that. No, no. And that, you know, it's lovely to hear because it is, especially even thinking of my grandparents, it's their social outing for the day. You know, I'm going to get the vaccine, you know, I'll go in ahead of time and I'll stop here and I'll get a coffee. And they're landing on an hour beforehand. And that poor person that should be up at the top of the line is now way back in the queue in their car going, I'm not going to get to my appointment on time, you know. So it's just five or ten minutes is plenty of time before it. And of course, if you have um, mobility needs or anything like that, of course, give yourself that extra time. But there's ushers and stewards there ready and waiting. So if you do feel you need to flag your hand to get up the queue a bit faster for your appointment, do absolutely do that. Mm. But I suppose it's, it is just considering that, you know, if you're landing on 30 minutes before in your car, especially for just the West Cork clinics, they are I suppose the the way the traffic is, it's quite an acyclic um, a continuation of traffic. So it, it looks like it's first come, first serve, but it's not. So it's just to flag the ushers mm-hmm. when when you feel you're going to be late for your appointment, I suppose. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. And is there anything you can bring with you in terms of paperwork, ID and stuff, just to have handy? Do you know, you don't want to be fishing down yeah. the back of a bag for, for a yeah. pen or a pencil or an ID. What can you bring? To be honest, everything at the moment is um, electronic. And I suppose that's the other thing. I heard the lady about quoting a reference number. Your reference number is your PPS number. Right. You know, so when they when you go, the first thing you'll do is you'll be ushered by um, a steward into the registration um we call them boots and they'll ask you for your PPS number and they might ask you for proof of ID so be that a passport a public service card a driving licence whatever you have with your PPS number that's on it Um, the next thing they'll ask you and I suppose this is where people are getting confused with the hold up of admin they have to go through a consent and now at the moment, that's just them asking you. They might ask you to sign a consent as well, but they'll have pens and everything there, so there's no need to worry that way. But they'll go through the consent again. And just that's to kind of, I suppose, reinforce that, you know, everyone is so excited, but on the day, you know, they might panic or they might not feel great or they mm. might have heard a story about a different vaccine. And if they're, let's say, just hypothetically offered an AstraZeneca vaccine on the day, they might go, geez, no, I thought I was going to get the Pfizer. I actually don't consent to that today. So that's why we have to do all these things on the day. And then we also do a medical eligibility questionnaire. And now these things in actual, in time and place only take seconds. Are you in a position to share with us what's in that questionnaire? 
like it, it's just basic things. If you you know, have you ever had a reaction to a vaccine before? Are you allergic to A, B, and C? You know, are you on blood thinners? Things like that. That's what they'll ask you. And I suppose the reason they don't ask you that on the day of registration is because we all know things can change in days and weeks. So they need to reconfirm that on the day. Are you well, well enough to get the vaccine? Okay. And and once that's done, I swear to God, once you go up and get your vaccine and you sit for your 15 minutes, it is smooth as, you know, you're in and you're out. So it's actually, it's just the little, the what comes across as the admin, but it's just to allow for us to safely give that vaccine, you know, to the best of everyone's ability. That's all. Right, listen. Thank you so much. Not at all. I hope that clears things up for people because it is it is a very smooth process. But I know, like anything in life, when you're excited for it and you have an appointment for 10 o'clock and you're not in the door at 10.01, you're going, what's going on? (laughs) I'm going to pop you back onto the executive research desk uh, because they want to talk to you. But thank you very much um, for being with us today. That's someone who, there's back with you there, Fergal. Someone who would prefer not to give her name or where she's actually working, but she's a nurse in the vaccine clinic, and I hope you found that helpful. I'm going to do the numbers after 10 because the headline figure and the warning from Dr. Holohan, who's back at the helm, is that we need to be careful right now because there's been an uptick in the last couple of weeks since we were able to go outside our 5K, since the kids all go back to school since a lot of people went back to work on construction sites and stuff like that. There's been a bit of an uptick nationally. But as I'll develop after 10, the news in Cork is far more positive. And we must say congratulations to the people of Bantry. Bantry, my friends, is now officially at COVID zero. They've been telling us it can't be done. Bantry have gone and done it. Bantry is at COVID zero. Well done, Bantry. More on that after the 10 o'clock news. 1850-715-996. Councillor Cat O'Driscoll is member of the council in Cabra Glasnevin in Dublin, but has a very strong Cork connection. In fact, you grew up in, in Douglas, was it? Cat, good morning. I did, yeah, up in Donnybrook and Douglas. Good for you. Good for you. Well, we, we we don't mind you emigrating to Dublin. I suppose we can. We <laughs> oh, my whole family are still in Cork. Brilliant. Now, they've started to do something with regard to public toilets in Dublin, which I think is a wonderful idea. What have they done? So the council have announced that they're going to open um, council-based buildings and community centres across Dublin for toilets only. Um, and those will be looked after just to increase the number of toilets in the city. Over the last while in the pandemic, there have been additional toilet units put in in public places. One is Stephen's Green and the other is Wolfstone Square, which is beside Jervis Shopping Centre. And the queues have been massive. So we've been calling for a while. Um, myself and Social Democrat TD Gary Garman have been looking at how we can increase toilet facilities, which are essential around the place while lots of places are closed. So we've also been looking at Phoenix Park and they've announced that over the summer they'll be putting portaloos in that, which is a, a massively important thing for everybody. Mm. And then the, have they opened public buildings? Are they opening the toilets in some public buildings? Yes, toilets only. In places like our City Hall, um, which is closed to even councillors like myself, uh, if we need to, we, we probably do have access in if we need to but the building itself is closed there's no weddings or anything taking part taking place in them but they're going to open the toilets like the toilets across the city 
um, and they're an essential resource. So, of course, it's very easy to open them rather than spending a lot of money in installing portaloos, which are very unsightly, mm. um, or adding in toilets when the infrastructure exists there anyway. So, being a Corkonian, you'd probably know off the top of your head, and being a, a, a public official, you'd probably know off the top of your head places we might open our toilets in Cork that would have the same effect? Absolutely. So there's kind of two bodies that we could look at. There's the council, the city and the county council, and then there's the Office of Public Works, the OPW. We could open museums, we could um, open the sports centres, the um, community halls, you you know, every community has them, um, and potentially the schools at weekends. Uh, as toilet only. We have to make sure we make it COVID safe. They have to be kept very clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're going to allow people who need to use the bathroom a lot, which is most people, to get out of their houses and enjoy the sunshine, we have to make it accessible. I'm particularly interested in making the outside accessible to people with medical conditions or women or people with young children or people who are pregnant. We all need to go a little bit more often and it can actually stop us getting out and enjoying the sunshine because there's nowhere to go when nature calls. So seeing as you grew up in Douglas, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The the community park, um, which is busy and it's a lovely place to go on a sunny afternoon. There's a community centre right at the edge of that park. It's quite a new one. You're suggesting, Kat, that we would open that access to toilets only. Yes, absolutely. And for it to be staffed so that um, any concerns about antisocial behaviour are looked after that it's well advertised. There's actually a website called p.ie which plots public bathrooms yes, no across way. the country. P.ie. Yes, p.ie.ie and you can look it up on your phone if you're stuck outside and find where the nearest public bathroom is. Um, and like Douglas Community Park is a perfect example. You've got the Mangala going up Donnybrook. It's a gorgeous walk for people, when we still had to stay within our five kilometres, it was still very busy. Mm. Um, I was down visiting family in August and I went up and down the Mangala a few times. It's a gorgeous walk. Um, and the, the community centre is right there. Yeah, it'd be a perfect idea. It's a great idea. Let's see if they'll take it up here. Um, you have Social Democrat colleagues around town, around the city and county. So here's hoping they'll take it up down here. Thank you very much, Councillor Cat O'Driscoll, formerly of Donnybrook Douglas. All her family still live here. She's a Social Democrat's councillor in Dublin for the Cabra Glasnevin area. There's a great idea. Open up the public toilets in the community centres. Another place I'm thinking of is Carrigaline where they've got that wonderful park and a you know, facility walking down there by the river when the water is in. It's a lovely walk, bring dog down there. But the community centre, well, a well-stocked or a well-equipped community centre has toilets. Open them. Open them up. Toilets only. And put some volunteers and staff in. Great idea. 1850-715-996. The councillor in Limerick who wants to slap a fine on parents for the wrongdoings, shall we say, of their youngsters. His name is Liam Galvin. He's putting it up to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, to bring in legislation that would include taking money from parents from either the salary or social welfare payment if their child misbehaves. He said... In his own town of Abbeyfield, God, I know it well, a DJ for the late Ted Dunn back there, he's received reports of youngsters being attacked by others and in one incident a bottle was smashed off a couple's car in the main street in the town. 
Now, we all know we're blue in the face from hearing guards saying, well, they can do nothing about it because there's no law there. They're juvies. So he says, right, find them and find the parents. Kevin, your thoughts? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How's it going, man? Very good, very uh, good. Look, I'm all for, I mean, a bit of context. The reason why I'm living in Ireland is because of sustained anti-social behaviour that we were under for about a year before we left England. You were in Bristol, weren't you? Yeah, and we were targeted for about a year sustained. It ended up with this fence by the side of our house being burnt and our car vandalised and stuff posted through the letterbox and what have you. So I've kind of got a... I know what I'm talking about with this. 50 quid isn't going to deter any kid or any parent of a kid who's in that situation. A fine isn't going to... It isn't going to do anything apart from guess a counsellor's name in the paper. It's it's spin. That's all it is. It's the latest thing to dust off when things are quiet and it gets... It's a good clickbait. But what does work then, Kev? Um, look, what... You ask any parent, you get a knock on the door, and the vast majority of parents are in this situation. A knock on the door from a guard, that's generally going to solve an awful lot of it. The second part after that, if that doesn't work, you have to look at other things, because the, the one call that you took over the years that's really stuck in my head was from the lady who was terrified of her son. Yes. And she with, had the best will in the world, wanted to help him, and did everything she could to try to kiss him on a straight and narrow. But at 15, 16, 17 years of age, what could she do? Lock him up at home? Let's mm. be realistic here. 50 quid isn't going to... isn't a deterrent. But when guards are telling you that we don't have the laws in place to sort this, put the laws in place to sort it. Mm. If, you want to, if you want someone to take responsibility for an action... You punish the person. You make the person realise that what they're doing is wrong. There's no point in me getting fined for something you did. When I can say to you, look, don't do this, don't do that. It's wrong. It's this, that and the other. Right, fine, yeah. ma'am, I'm going out. I remember, do, a, I remember covering a court case a few years ago, Kev, and I, I won't refer to the area involved, but it was a gang of youngsters mm-hmm. who went on a rampage in a, in a satellite town, shall we say, and did a load of damage, and got rounded up, and brought before the court. And I saw, and I heard the frustration of Gardaí that I knew. Only one of them could actually be charged. Because the rest were all youngsters. Do you honestly think that those parents felt pride in in that? I I bet you those parents, the vast majority of those parents, not all, I'm I'm not stupid... But I bet you the vast majority of those parents had their head buried in their hands, ashamed of what of how their son or daughter ended up this way. And it would I bet you a pound to a penny that they have tried to their wit's end to do something about it. If look, what would be wrong in community service putting yellow jackets on kids and make them sweep streets? Make yeah. them physically do something in their community to and be seen to do it. Mm. I mean, I, I just can't wrap my head around what a 50 quid fine does for anything. I, I can't. I, I'm all for sorting, for trying to tackle a problem, and it is a problem, I'm not naive. But tackle it properly. Change not, the law. Make, change the make law, them put culpable. It, spend money. Look, trying to do shit on, excuse my language, right. trying to do stuff on the cheap 
and expecting the Holy Grail to come out at the other side of it doesn't work. It never has, it never did, and it never will. Spend money on youth services. Put things in place. I, you know, I, I've, I've my kids here at home, and we've spent 1,500 quid on a transition year that's been a bust. They can't go outside the door. And when they do go outside the door, it's home. You know, out, walk, take the dog for a walk, come home. They've had the roughest, the majority of kids, all kids have had the roughest year they'll ever have. And we can't appreciate that. Because when we were growing up, we were out and gone. And, yes, true. You know, our house, my house was a bed and breakfast for, for my teenagers. Mm. A year of that. their youth has been taken from them. And we should never forget uh, no. that. No. Can't, can't use it to excuse anything. No, but you're, you're always talking, when you're talking about this subject, it, it really, really is only a minority. But tackle it properly. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to spend money, spend money properly and put services in place that work, that are tried and tested elsewhere to work. I mean, there's no point in saying, look, yeah, we'll find the parents 50 quid and the parents will turn around and say, yeah, 50 quid. Yeah, okay, here you go. And, and, and then what? What do you expect? Some, do people expect, yeah, I'll pay, my, I'll pay the 50 quid fine and then it stops? There's a reason why parents... Are why these parents of kids like this? I I don't believe for a second that these parents don't care. I just don't believe that. Okay. You know, but <laughs> they need help. Well, I'll be I'll be talking to Councillor Galvin hopefully later on this morning, Kev, and I'll put that point to him. Thank you very much, Kevin, in North Cork. So his idea is, don't mind the fifty euro fine. That's not making a blind bit of difference. Change the law so you can put these kids on community service, put them out weeding parks and sweeping streets and whatever, digging ditches as it were, or change the law to punish them, or put better services in place so they don't go down the wrong road in the first place. There's an old saying, I think it comes from Africa, and it goes along the lines of the, the children... The children rejected, rejected by the village will burn it down to feel the warmth of the fire. That's a very bad paraphrasing of what is far more beautiful in its original form. But the children neglect, neglected by the village will burn it down to feel the warmth of the fire. Take that in context with what Kevin has been saying. What do you think about this idea from Councillor Galvin? We'll talk to him later. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I think we'll be getting the charcoal out over the weekend and maybe into the bank holiday weekend next weekend weather looks like it'll hold I'll be talking to our weatherman at UCC, Carl Nolan, the climate researcher uh, before the end of the day he is going to give us some good news but possibly the next 10 days or so nice bit of weather with us and another, if you could see it behind the clouds it just was starting to look gorgeous and then the clouds came in another fabulous sunrise this morning that's coming later on. Big reaction as well to the idea of what you do for kids who they're underage. The law can do nothing with them. Uh, should we find their parents? Good case being made by Kevin there before 10. That's the way that actually won't work at all. 
we need to do something else. Um, one or two suggestions that 50 euro is a joke. In actual fact, it should be 500 euro. And that might make the parents sit up and take notes. But Kevin doesn't int- uh, agree with the concept anyway. And he made his point just before 10. We'll come back to it. Also, is there a friend that you've kind of dropped over the pandemic? And if moreover, did you use lockdown or did you find lockdown a handy way to get rid of a friend that really wasn't a friend at all? That's all to come in a little while. Just to remind you, we are getting behind Lehan Coyley, who is a harpist from Kinsale, currently a student at the community school down there. Very talented. And she's taking part in this international harp competition, the Arpademia Harp Competition. And if you want to help her, you can vote for her. You, you can go on to YouTube and you'll find her entry. And if you search Cat C. Lehan Kylie, it'll all come up and then press the thumbs up on her YouTube and you'll be helping a young Kinsale harpist in one of the biggest harp competitions in the world, the harping our national instrument, of course. We should be doing really well. Anyway, 1850-715-996. Right, last evening we got a bit of a jolt when we got the numbers uh, because the numbers aren't as good as they have been for the last couple of days. Yesterday they announced 617 new cases. And they told us that the five-day average, moving average, was 450. And that was up a bit, obviously, because of the 617. 617 was the highest number of daily cases since sometime back in March. And what we were being told about was that this could be down to the fact that people have gone back to work in the last couple of weeks. Kids have gone back to school. There's more people moving around blah, 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 and the numbers have gone up and they're a bit worried. Now, to be fair, uh, Dr. Nolan or Professor Nolan Neffert is saying this is probably just a blip. His numbers at the moment are suggesting it's probably just a blip. But Dr. Holohan, who's back in the chair, has also said, yes, it's probably just a blip, but it means we need to be very, very careful. But the national picture that you got last night really isn't being fair to Cork because I've got the table in front of me now. And 607 nationally. Donegal has a 14-day incidence per 100,000 population of 256 or 257, if you round it up. Dublin has 174. Kildare, 200. Offaly, 212. All of the bad numbers are around Donegal, Offaly, Kildare, Dublin, Longford, Meath, Westmeath. So look at that bunch there. Offaly, Kildare, Dublin, Meath, Westmeath. All the numbers up there, dodgy. Come down to Cork. We're 25th on the list of 26. Yesterday with 14 cases in Cork. Our five-day average is 13. The national five-day average, lads, is 415. Right? We had 13 yesterday. Five-day national average 415. Our 14-day figure per 100k now is 35. 35 per 100,000 of us. The national figure is 118.1. So we're, what, quarter of that. Quarter of that. In Donegal, it's 256.9. So we're a fraction of Donegal. 
we're a fraction of Dublin, we're a fraction of Offaly Kildare. So we're doing really well. The only one lower than us on the list last evening was Kilkenny. They're down now to 22 per 100k over the last 14, and their five-day moving average is one. They're really doing well. Kerry's five-day moving average is two. Wexford's is three. The other counties in Munster, Limerick, had 19 cases yesterday, five-day moving average of 13. Tipperary's five-day is 19. Waterford's is four. Clare's three. Kerry's two. Ours, of course, is 13, but we've got a massive population, and that brings us right down to the bottom of the table. So we should be very proud of ourselves. Let us go back to last month, to March 23rd, and compare it with the figures that we have today. Uh, March 23rd, we had 49 per 100k was our 14-day figure. In February, that was 91 per 100k on the 23rd of February. On the 23rd of January, our 14-day figure per 100k was 869. So from January to February to March, in three, in three months, we've gone from 869 down to 100 and 869 down to 35 per 100k. 869 down to 35. We have decimated the numbers in Cork. Last year, on April the 23rd, our per 100k figure was 104. So we're actually in better shape than this day last year. In fact, our 14-day figure per 100k is a third of what it was this day last year. We need to be really, really happy with this. But the people who need to be so, so happy and so, so proud of themselves are the wonderful people of Bantry. Because Bantry is now officially at COVID zero. Bantry's West Cork local electoral area has had less than five cases in two weeks. That qualifies as zero COVID. So basically, Bantry is New Zealand at the moment. Bantry is New Zealand. Bantry is Brisbane. So when they tell you, and they do, it can't be done the people of Bantry will turn around and say, well, we bloody did it. Uh, Formoy had 14 in the two-week. That's the highest. That's the highest, Formoy. Cove had... Uh, sorry, Cove Formoy had 30 and Cove had 21. But we're doing really, really well in Cork and we should pat ourselves on the back every day. And every day I see those numbers, I think, you know what? We've done such a colossal job uh, here in Cork City and County among the little half million of us. I want to go to one clip from John Campbell. Actually, you know what I'll do? I'll hold it. I'll hold it because uh, I'm, I'm just waiting on something here. But John Campbell, do you remember last week on the programme, he raised the issue of how the vaccines are being injected and how that might have, in his experience as a nurse, might, might, might have a connection to clots. John explained it really well and then in fairness to Deputy Cullen Burke, he contacted the programme. He's a member of the Oireachtas Health Committee. He was prepared to take it upstairs. He did that, and we heard the result of that then the other day. And now John has analysed the answer. I'll let you hear that a little bit later. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. So is there someone that you were friends with before the pandemic started and the lockdown started and staying away from people started and that they're not a friend anymore? Uh, you've kind of divorced them as a friend. Uh, were you trying to get rid of them in the first place but hadn't the hadn't the opportunity to do it or didn't have the, the courage to do it. But I think a lot of us have have dropped some friends that they were feeling iffy about for a while. Uh, Anne-Marie Craven is from the University of Learning Social Connectivity and Health Psychology. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning, PJ. It has been that opportunity, hasn't it, to sort of quietly ditch someone that you, well, might have wanted to ditch but couldn't find a way in the past. Well, I suppose COVID has had a massive impact on our friendships in general. And certainly, I think some friendships falling by the wayside has probably been a byproduct of that. I'm not sure how many people really feel there are people they need to ditch. We do know that most people's friendships are not entirely positive. Some of them can be also ambivalent. That's where there's a mix of positive, negative characteristics. And then, of course, we all have some relationships, or most of us do, that might be universally negative. So there could be an opportunity to let those slide. Um, But I do think most people probably have found friendships drifting away rather than making a conscious effort to lose them. Here's an observation, and this is purely personal. Uh, Some of my closest friendships in the world would now be closer uh, through the pandemic because of the way we've had to stay in contact with each other through other ways. And there would be people that I haven't seen or heard of since the start of it. And it wouldn't bother me if I never saw or heard of them again. And that's just me. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting to your personal experiences. I feel that the pandemic has almost made many of us older than our years in terms of our friendships. So what I mean by that is, well known that older adults tend to prioritize relationships and friendships that are they are most emotionally important for them so younger adults will have a larger social circle and they need that but older adults don't they don't feel the need to form new friendships they want to prioritize that are those that are most emotionally important and i actually think the pandemic has made a lot of us like older adults in that way before our time hmm. because having a large social circle and keeping up with a lot of friends when we can't actually meet them means first of all there's a physical risk attached and second we can't do the shared activities we used to do so instead we prioritize those that are most emotionally meaningful for us that your closest friends i think some of them could have even become closer in this because of the way that you've had to been so limited in, in the time you can spend with them even if you can see them or you know having to having to contact them by skype where where you'd normally meet them down the down the local or something those friendships have gained a new value i think 
I think they have gained a new appreciation or we have gained a new appreciation for them. So they mightn't still be panning out as we'd like because we can't spend time with them in the way that we'd like. But we certainly all, I think, have an appreciation if we didn't before for the importance of friendships in our lives and for the importance of those close friendships. Mm. Now, I wouldn't dismiss the weaker ties, though, because that outer circle of friendships, that's where you might make more friends if you need to. That's where you might meet a partner. That's somebody who could link you up with the job. That's someone that's nice to interact with in that moment, even if it's not someone that you maintain. And I guess it's important also to stress that, you know, just because people haven't been in contact, it doesn't mean the friendship is no longer there. No, absolutely. Um, I hope people won't feel shy when they have the opportunity of making contact again to do that. I think really we're suffering from, we don't have much to talk about. We don't have much to be Mm. doing together. So it's almost like some friendships are on ice. And that's okay for now. I think we should accept that. What did you do for the weekend? Or what do you flip and think I did for the weekend? Exactly, (laughs) yeah. Those shared structures that support friendships they've really been eroded during COVID. So I do think we need to accept that when this is behind us to an extent, things won't be exactly as they were, but if we want them to get back to normal, they can. In terms of the general psychology of a friendship, pandemic or not, uh, Anne-Marie, like, does there come a time when you need to say to someone, we're no longer friends? I think this depends a lot on the reason for you feeling that this friendship isn't something you want to continue. So friendships are voluntary, non-familial, reciprocal relationships. Unless somebody has done something very hurtful or unless you've realised that actually this isn't a true friendship, it was sort of built around a particular structure like work, like being part of the same group, but you're not necessarily close. Unless there's a particular reason to end a friendship, I don't think I would announce the end of a friendship. So what distinguishes friendships from romantic relationships usually is that a friendship is not exclusive. So there's no need to end it. You're not moving on to be friends with somebody else instead. I think in most cases it makes sense to let that drift. And of course, the other person might feel exactly the same. Friendships are reciprocal. So if you're feeling a little bit like you want to let a friendship go, that other person could be feeling it too. Yeah, you might be saying, God, it's the conversation I'm glad we had. Yeah. Here's a, a call come in, Anne-Marie. What happens if you're on the other end? You thought the friendship was great. Suddenly you mm. get dropped or friendship divorced. Uh, someone said, look, we, maybe we should be in contact a bit less or something like that. Other people just stopped contacting you. It's never, I've never actually had someone say to me, says this caller, literally, I don't want you as a friend. But like... Can if a friendship is starting to fizzle out, should you even try to warm it up again? I think there's a difference between letting it fizzle out and keeping it on ice, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of changes that happen in our lives. There's a lot of different life events that might take our attention away from friendships. So, for example, if somebody is a new parent, they're really caught up in that. They don't mean to let friendships slide, but they literally have to give time to the baby in front of them. So that's a time where friendships can slide. But you don't need to have an announcement that it's ended because you might actually pick that friendship up again in time if the other person is willing. Don't close the the door. It might just be a jar. Yeah, Yeah, you don't know. I wouldn't close the door. Because you don't know what life events will happen that might bring you back together. You also 
with life circumstances might find you have more in common at a different life stage with that mm. person. You what might you quite enjoy picking to, it up. Yeah, what if you wanted to convey to the person, look, I value our friendship. It's gone a bit off the boil, but I do value it. How do you convey that without saying the actual words? Like, is, can you realise, is there still hope there? Yeah, well, if you haven't been in touch for a while, and I think that's probably very common at the moment, you can say, look, I'm sorry you haven't been in touch for a while. I'd love to catch up if you had a chance. Yeah. And that's all you need to say. And then a person can take you up on that or not, of course. That's the next step. Yes. But once you've made that first step, it's in their court then. It is, because friendships are reciprocal. They require two people to be involved. Mm. Uh, I suppose if you feel like you're always the person doing the chasing or the nurturing of a friendship, you might feel a little bit like you want to let that go. Yes. Because there is an effort involved in maintaining any relationships and it can't be one-sided. I get the sense from our caller here that they're concerned about a particular friendship and wondering, can they actually stoke it, warm it up again? Uh, how do they... How do they know there's still hope of doing that? And you're saying reach out and say, listen, we haven't spoken for a while, it'd be nice to catch up. That's it. And you know what? If someone takes you up on that, great. And if they don't, I, it's I'm just getting more information personal. here. One person stopped calling and two just had less contact. And now our caller is worried. Well, okay, so there's a few things going on there. I suppose first during COVID, most friendships have taken a hit and it's nothing personal. That's important to remember. Nothing personal. You also don't know sometimes what is going on with somebody that's occupying their time and preventing them from making the call. And often it can transpire later that there was something quite significant going on that was taking their time. They hadn't noticed time passed. And sometimes it's not. And maybe they did have a chance and they just didn't catch up with you. What I would say to that person is make the effort to reach out. Um Friendships are voluntary. People often don't respond well to feeling that they're not voluntary or that they owe you something, you know. Uh, that's a tricky situation to negotiate. So I would reach out without making a sense that um, the person owed you contact because there might be a particular reason why they just couldn't do that at that time. And what I'd also recommend, and this is hard during COVID, but if you're a member of different social groups, that can be quite helpful because some friendships will ebb and flow over time. Mm. That's very natural. But if you have a couple of different groups, they can actually support you and offer the benefits of friendship if another friendship falls by the wayside, even yeah. if that's just for a short time. I'm just getting the impression from the notes here on my screen um, that, one, that at least one of the individuals that this person is talking about said they wanted a bit less contact. Well, then I would say you need to accept that, unfortunately. And it might be for different reasons. It might be that they actually just cannot give that time right now. They could be working at home. They could be isolating. and They could have caring responsibilities. So it's not necessarily personal. It's as a result of life circumstances. And I think at certain points in life, we can feel quite hurt if this happens to us. But as life goes on, I think most of us will find ourselves in a position at some point where we can't nurture the friendships and we do want a little bit less contact. So that person's friend has actually been very clear. So what I would say is you offer the opportunity to have contact, but you also nurture other relationships that you have and other friendships that you have. Okay. Okay. Interesting. It's a, a strange time for everything and especially friendship or at least friendship isn't, is, isn't um, accepted. Thank you very much. Anne-Marie Craven from the University of Limerick, their Department of Social and Health Psychology. Friendships, some friendships won't survive this. Some friendships will be even closer 
at the end of it. Some friendships, you'll realise, will bugger it. They weren't that great after all. And if you haven't spoken to someone in a while, just reach out. Just fling them a text or pick up the phone and call them. You know, they may not have moved away from you. You may have thought they did, but they didn't. 1850-715-996. I'll do the break for us, Dads, before I go to that call. We're getting quite a response on youngsters um, and whether parents should be fined for the actions of their youngsters, like the councillor in Limerick, Liam Galvin. He's a former mayor of the city and a Fine Gael councillor who has reached out now to Justice Minister Helen McEntee wanting her to introduce legislation that would see parents fined if their child misbehaves. We've a call on that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The award-winning critically acclaimed show Mary and Me returns in a new version reimagined for digital presentation. Mary and Me, The Art of Being Invisible is written and performed by Irene Kelleher and is a live video stream from the Everyman Theatre taking place in June. Access all areas. Probably Ireland's number one tribute show ever, ABBA's success over the last 21 years has been phenomenal and making them, without question, one of Ireland's most successful tribute acts ever. They come to Cork on Friday, October 1st to play Cypress Avenue. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96. FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. So, Lauren, you agree with the idea of punishing parents for the wrongs of their youngsters, do you? Good morning. Hi, how are you? Yeah, no, I do. And I was actually thinking about it. Like, so, nearly three years ago, my car was stolen or whatever, you know? And um, it was found and all that crap, but it was totally written off. Right. Um, but the guys were aware of it because they were under 18, like nothing could really be done about it. And we were going into, it was kind of around when COVID kind of happened as well. Yeah. Something that was about, it was like, I don't know, before COVID anyway, but then, you know, once they get back to you and all that, it was yeah. kind of COVID times. But um, Your insurance covered thinking, it, I take it, yeah? My insurance covered it, but it's just the fact do you know if you put in a claim obviously through your insurance like your insurance is going to go up in price yes, you know yes, yes, so is. like it's over and done with now I'm over it you know and I wouldn't like just get over that stuff or whatever but it's, it was just kind of annoying at the time yeah. you know, that was it that the guards and without identifying anybody of course Lauren yeah. was it that the guards were unable to do anything because of the age of the youngsters yeah yeah exactly that's it they were under 18 like you know and you know you're like juvenile like as in I don't think not, not much can be done if they're under 18. Mm. Um, now, in saying that, with the whole fine thing, I do agree with the parents getting fined, but then it's the fact. If these these young people can steal cars, do they have respect for their parents? Like, as in, they might just keep doing it and they couldn't give a crap if the parents do that, get that's fined. That's kind of the know? point that Kevin was making before 10, in that it seems yeah. a simple solution to extract the fine from the parents but is that going yeah. to stop so and so going out robbing yeah. another car 
see, that's the thing. You don't know, like, you know, if if they can go out and rob a car, do they have respect for their parents that they won't do it, even if the parents are getting fined, you know? Mm. So when Elsa then saying that 50 quid, which is what Councillor Galvin in Limerick is suggesting, that that's yeah. only a joke, that it should be at least 500, and that that would make the parents sit up and take notice, and that might subsequently make little Johnny uh, sit up yeah. and take notice. Yeah, but then you don't know how the parents will react to the kids either, if that makes sense. I don't know, you know. Um, but it was annoying at the time. Like, it's just the fact that they're under 18, you know, and, like, nothing can be done. But the, here I am after, and the car was only, like, a year old, I think, right. or a few months. Right. You know what I mean? And the car was completely written off, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your insurance goes up. You're paying for, for, for their sins when, in fact, they should be paying for their sins. Thanks, Lauren, for that. 1850-715-996. Let us go then to Limerick, to Councillor Liam Galvin. Liam, good morning. Good morning. The idea that parents should be made to pay for the wrongs of their youngsters, um, d- d- do you think it's going to work? Uh, you well, know, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, the idea of the parents being made to for the wrongs of their youngsters. I'm, what I'm saying is that the parents be made accountable for their youngsters. By the way, they had these children. The children just didn't arrive into their kitchen one morning. You know, they had these children. They choose to have children. Yeah. So the least they can do now is rear the children until they're, you know, and rear, and, 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 and rear them. You know, like, all I'm asking for here is that the people using the amenities in the towns and villages throughout this countryside be treated with respect. It's not a whole pile task for. The overwhelming majority of children are doing so. Mm. It's just a small group of people inside in any given town, and it's, this is countrywide. By the way, I brought this to a JPC meeting there three weeks ago, and I didn't think it was going to snowball to where it has snowballed. But the letters, I won't say letters, emails, text messages, Facebook messages that I'm receiving throughout the country, it's frightening. Mm. It's frightening. Mm. You, you mentioned that yes, they, they had the children, they raised the children. Do, do you honestly think that any parent uh, raises their children to go out and be vandals or go out and damage public property? They don't, of course. As I say, there's only a very, a very small few inside in any given town that are doing this, and there appear to be parents that don't care. But I'd put it this way too: if the parent is fined, and I just use the figure fifty euro, if the parent is fined fifty euro. You know, tomorrow evening, because that child was down in, the, in a town park um, causing criminal activity or criminal damage, she'd know or he'd know where the child is the following night. And this is the reality of it. There's no punishment there for a child under 12 years of age. Mm. And, 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 and what happens is when you have. Well, isn't it not, great that we done away with the reform schools, though, to be fair? <laughs> I'm not asking for reform schools at all. What I'm asking for here is, is in fairness, there are large quantities of voluntary organisations throughout our countryside, whether they're graveyard committees, town councils, community councils, um, and they're all given voluntary time. You know, town park committees given, right. give, you know, given time. They're fundraising out there to try and have the amenities that are the best for their children. And then you have a small element of people, a small group of people that appear to go around doing what they like and also appear to be left to get away with this. What so, about the idea I, of changing the law that applies to the youngsters, so that the guards are no longer trying to deal with this with one hand tied behind their back in that the legislation doesn't cover it. So why not just change the legislation so that if you are 14 or 15, if you are a, a juvie, we will, if you like, we will devise ways to punish you. 
Yeah, look, I mean, this is only my proposal. I'm not. No, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering: is it is is worthy of consideration? Do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, community I, service. I, I mean, Abbey Field, as I said, I haven't been there for a few years now, but I know it. Uh, love, lovely place. Uh, there's probably a, a local park that they could uh, be made to cut the grass or weed the flowers. You know, give them community service uh, and pull high vis jackets on them when they're out doing it. So there's a small little bit of public humiliation as well. So everybody knows that they are the guy we're breaking all the windows. A little bit of that might 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 be good. Look, I look. All I'm asking for here, really and truly, is that the senior officials of the of the Gardaí, the senior politicians, the TDs that represent the people on the ground, you know, that we sit down around the table and say, guys, we have a problem inside our towns and villages. It needs to be addressed. Uh, the generation of today, what will the generation of tomorrow be like if we don't address what's going on? I mean, it's it, you know, it is frightening to think that the elderly people are afraid to go to the banking institutions in their towns. They're afraid to go to the church. They're afraid to go to the shop because of intimidation. The young children are afraid to go to the town parks, to the playgrounds, because they're intimidated by by groups of lawless children. Of lawless children, by the way. And, and as I say, there are only a small handful of these inside any town, and there should be legislation there for the Gabby to, 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 to take ownership of it. By the way, the Gabby need to take responsibility too. You know, because I think... I, I, in every way, the Gardaí are the people that are responsible for enforcing the law. Mm. And but if the, the law, moment, if the law is, if the law isn't, if they don't have law to enforce, what are they well, supposed the law, to do? Well, well, I, the question I'll ask is: Is the law being enforced as currently there at the moment? You know, that's the question that needs to be asked. Because if it was, a lot of what's going on wouldn't be going on. Well, before that's you came on, I was it. talking to a woman who has car, her car was stolen and written off by a couple of youngsters uh, maybe a year and a half ago and the, the, the investigating guard said, look, there's nothing we can do, they're underage. Yeah, and that's, and that's exactly my point. That's exactly my point, they're underage so because, there's no, because there's no powers there. So now let's, let's enact legislation, let's sit down on the table and say yes, from now on, the parents are going to be held accountable for children under 16 years of age. In other words, the parents of these kids should at least know where they are. At well, least know where they are. Yeah. And, then, and I, don't think, I don't think that's a whole... Do you think that fining a parent will mean that if they didn't know their child... If they didn't know where their child was tonight and their child got in trouble... You know where they are tomorrow night. Do you think so? Well, I put it this way to you. If you're fined, if you're fined for not wearing a safety belt today, if you're caught tomorrow and you're a silly fool... You know, you'll you'll wear a safety belt tomorrow, and that's the reality of it. Okay. You know, okay. I mean, I, 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 have you had a response back, back from Minister McEntee yet? I haven't because I haven't gone to Minister McEntee. I'm waiting for the petition to 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 try and grow. I'm also waiting to speak with the three TDs by the way, who I have contacted over the phone. I haven't had anything back from the three of them as of yet. But when 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 um, I'm hoping to bring this motion to the full council meeting next month, mm-hmm. uh, and when I have, I'll be I'll be I'll be pulling the, the, the plug in on the petition. When it, if it does happen to pass that council meeting, I'll be handing the petition to the three TDs to be given to uh, to be given to. Uh, straight up to the minister uh, to sit down at least uh, and open a dialogue and open a debate on this because this is escalating out of control in all our towns. It's just not Abbey Field. It, you know, I raised the issue about Abbey Field about the thing that was going on in town and our local radio station picked up on it. 
You know, there was an unprecedented amount of calls came in that morning to the radio stations. You were and probably on with my friend Joe Nash, were you? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I can. And, and there would have been a lot of... Like, are you open to suggestions of other ways to do this, like Kevin was saying? 100%. 100%. Look, and I'm, I'm actually open to suggestions about having a... Sitting down with a committee of, of senior officials of the Gardaí, senior politicians, you know, sitting down with the state agencies. Maybe the, the Department of Education could get involved here also. So, so effectively what is, you're saying, uh, Liam, is you want a broader conversation along the lines of what do we do about 15 and 16-year-olds who are for want of a better term, out of control. Well, well, there is a law there for the 15 and 16-year-old. There is no law for the 12-year-old downwards. Right. There is a law there for the 15 16-year-old just, just to implement it. Yeah. But what I would say there is... As bold you mean or something I genuinely, like I genuinely think there that they, having a 12-year-old or downwards, like I see him as young as five, six, seven years of age, running around the town there at night, you know, in the dark, dusk, and nobody watching him. Nobody after them, nobody before them, nobody behind them, and they seem to be left to do what they like. And as you know yourself, when you have a group of, of, of young children like that with no supervision, anything can go wrong. And it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be allowed to happen in this day and age. Okay. All right, we'll leave it there for today. We'll see where it goes. It's one that certainly has grabbed the attention of our listeners. Councillor Liam Galvin of Fine Gael, former Mayor of Limerick. He's pushed it up the line as fast as he can. Something needs to be done. His suggestion is fines, but he's open to other suggestions too of other ways to do it. 1850 There's a few things held over. Yep, this is from Carrigaline. PJ, we had 40 youngsters on our green in Carrigaline last night. We contacted the Gardaí at 20 to 8. There were 40 young fellas drinking and generally being rowdy and going to the toilet all over the green. We got on to Toker Garda Station, who were very helpful, but couldn't send a car out until about 10 to 10. By that stage, most of them were gone. They left when the guards asked them, but you could literally hear them singing Roll On Saturday Night. With a lot of them, the parents dropped them out and collected them and dropped them back. Please do not drop your kids to a residential area, especially when you know what's going to happen with the toilet situation. Eugene says, do I and the parents just send them to boot camp for a few weeks? No phone, just basic food and make them so tired, work them so hard, they'll be happy to go to bed at nine o'clock. Four or five weeks of that and you'd have a far more respectful young fella. Councillor Poddy Deneen was on to say he would support the idea of issuing a fine on the parents of unruly children, in particular repeat offenders. Your latest guest, Kevin, spoke about putting the offenders to task within the community. I've written myself to the Minister for Justice asking her to consider increasing the legal age, the purchasing of alcohol to 24 in the off-licence, as I believe the uncontrolled consumption of alcohol is a factor in much of today's antisocial issues. Well, Councillor Paddy Dean, as you well know, we have a law that states you can't drink alcohol in a public place. So anyone out at the Lock, or inside around town, or up at Beldfield, Bellsfield, with a bag of cans. The guards have the power to take the cans off of them. Why isn't it happening? Burr says, put an orange suit on them and get them to clean the streets. Una agrees the parents should be responsible. They have no respect for the guards. I'd prefer, says Kate, hard community service. Sure, a load of them would literally laugh at their parents having to pay. They're in just that antisocial frame of mind. Craig the trucker. Where's that chap, chap Kevin 
got the figure of 50. Well, that was the suggestion from Minister or from uh, Councillor Galvin. Uh, the fine should be more effective, like 500. Whatever happened to Asbos? What political brainchild was that? I think I remember Billy Kelleher being very fond of the idea of Asbos. Fining parents is good. It's a welcome idea. What about kids in state care? Who will be liable for their bad behaviour? I presume you mean kids in the the care system. The parents will back up their sons or daughter, mostly by denying it. These parents can be very difficult to deal with. I had enormous trouble with the parent of an 18 or 19-year-old. I then felt like the wrongdoer. I'd support the action. I agree parents ought to be responsible for the children's misbehaviour. That's from Michael. And I think it's a great idea, says Teresa. Just one quick comment with regard to the VAC, or the, sorry, the case numbers that we did earlier. And I mentioned that uh, Bantry is now officially at COVID zero status. Somebody texted in to say that Perth had one positive case today. Everything is in total lockdown for three days or until tracing is finished. And that, anon, is how it is done. There are cases in Australia, many cases in Australia, but the difference between there and here is they know where every single case is. Now, clearly, this one in Perth is in the community. They don't know how it got there, so they will. They'll shut down the whole lot, slap, for 72 hours until they can trace it. And then they'll open up again. And people seem to be quite okay with that. Anyone I've talked to from, the, uh, from, from Australia, yes, it's bloody inconvenient. But it means that when we open up again, we open up again and go back to a normal life. So thank you for that. 1850-715-996. Freedom of the City is an innovative project from the Glucksman Gallery, which has nothing to do with uh, having a nice afternoon for anybody in the City Hall and giving them a scroll. This is an idea about young people, and we're talking about young people going off the rails. But it's very important to point out, as many people do, that most of the young people around us stay very much on the rails and care very much about their city and their county and the future. Uh, Fiona Carney is director at the Dluxman. Fiona, good morning. Hi there, PJ. What is the idea here? Well, it's a really interesting one because last year we did a project with Cork Chamber that asked... Her line is misbehaving there, Terry. Uh, I'll throw it back over to you. Uh, her, her, her line just went down. I'll see if we can get her back. A couple of more things that I wanted to do. Um, my, my, friend, my friend Martin, thank you for this, Martin. Uh, Martin sent me something that I was going to hold on, but seeing as it's nice to get a laugh on a Friday, um, he sent me um, an in-memoriam ad from the newspaper. And it's Costello. I won't give you the name, but Costello is the surname. Second anniversary. The message, I mean, how Irish is this? The message is, Da, you're probably better off where you are. There isn't so much as a pub open down here. Sadly missed by his son's daughter-in-law and daughters-in-law and all his grandchildren. How cool is that? Love it. Listen, can we, I go back to John Campbell, Terry, because I think that, that phone line is, is, is down and going to stay down for now. We'll see if we can get her back, but for now the, the phone is gone. So this time last week, we were talking to John Campbell and he'd gone through in great detail for us how he was worried about the injecting of 
vaccines and how as a nurse 40 years ago, he was always taught to do it a particular way. He was always taught to, as they call it in the business, aspirate first. And he said, maybe, just maybe, that that is what's causing some of the blood clots. Maybe, just maybe. And scientifically, he said it made sense to him. And he had research from 2006 that he said made absolute sense. Now, Colin Burke was listening that day, uh, Deputy Colin Burke, and he's a member of the committee, the Oireachtas Health Committee. And he did good to his word, fair play to me, brought it up at the Oireachtas Health Committee uh, last week, or last well, Tuesday, was it? And as we heard on Wednesday, he was pretty much dismissed out of hand. At least that's how it sounded by Nyack and by the HSE. Colm Henry from the HSE and Nyack were quite dismissive. I felt anyway of what Colm Burke had said. Now, I spoke then with John Campbell by email. He asked me to send me on, send him on the audio of that. And in John's latest dispatch to his almost one million YouTube subscribers, He's been going through what happened. I was on um, radio, what is it, radio, uh, no, radio 96 FM on Cork in Ireland. It's, I, I do interviews on there from time to time um, for, the, for the people in, in Ireland. And uh, the uh, um, PJ, the, the, uh, the host there, he has got uh, contacts and there was an official question asked in the, in the Irish Parliament uh, in the Oireachtas. So, so let's just listen to that. Now, it's only an audio recording, um, but but um, it's it's interesting. So let's just listen to that. It only takes about three minutes. Can I just raise a number of issues? The first one I want to raise, I move on to another issue, and that's in relation to the rollout of the vaccine for people who cannot access a gene. Oh, there you go. That was a bit of a... Uh, bit of a negative wasn't it um so they say if you give it into a muscle but of course the only way you can guarantee that you're giving it to muscle is, is you aspirate and make sure you're not in a blood vessel and and they're saying there's no association but the point is they don't draw back so they don't know if it's gone in a vein or a muscle so so what this variable is it is unknown so they can't say there's no correlation so um, it's good that that question has been officially asked at government level in Ireland. But basically, I think that the bottom line to their answer was that they are just saying, well, this is what the European guidelines say, so this is what we do. So I still feel that question has not been answered. Now, we got a sub- we're getting a, quite a, an amount of contact from nurses as well, I might tell you now, in the last few days, um, who recognised through, obviously being nurses, just how authoritatively John Campbell speaks. Uh, here's another message that I got from a person who'd rather I didn't give their name, but I heard your interview with Colin Burke about Dr. John Campbell's theory. I trained as a nurse in the UK. We always had to aspirate before giving an intramuscular injection. The other things was that many of these injections are given in the thigh or the buttocks. It's a bigger muscle with less chance of hitting a blood vessel. Giving an injection in the arm might mean a smaller muscle. Here's a point raised by a nurse. Perhaps the reason more women are getting clots is because women have a smaller muscle mass than men. Perhaps when the J&J and AstraZeneca vaccines go accidentally into the blood then they start a clotting cascade 
I got the Pfizer vaccine in my arm and there was a big painful lump there for a few days. All the women at work had this, but not the men. Seemingly Denmark now mandates aspiration before injecting. And the dude, John, discussed that with us last week. And I told him it had been, I told this person it had been brought up at the committee and was pretty much dismissed out of hand, to which the response came, that's a shame, as they've no other explanation at the moment. I wonder how many of them would actually have given intramuscular injections during their careers. Would they really understand? And the point is, an awful lot of those injections, it is nurses giving them. I don't think John is going to let this one go. And now that we're in regular contact with him, neither are we. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Ooh, getting a bit of response to that call from uh, just over 11 o'clock where I said, do you know, if anyone is a nurse, trained as a nurse, was a nurse, is retired, any of that, nurses, not supposed to doctors, um, can you identify with what John Campbell has been saying about how the vaccination is supposed to be given. Do you know what? Maybe the HSE will be a bit pissed off with us for pushing on with this, but I don't care because a lot of people who contact us with a nursing background are saying there may well be something in what John is saying. I was trained in the way John Campbell is talking about. Now you're told it doesn't actually matter. The newer nurses are trained differently. It's very strange and I don't understand it. Why did they change all the old ways? Because they were all... I mean, John reminded us in our first interview that one time he used to give psychiatric drugs intramuscularly and you had to check because you could kill the patient if you gave it the wrong way. I was in my pharmacy Monday evening. I was asking about their vaccine and if they all had it. Uh, They said some of them had and some of them haven't. I'd have thought, PJ, all of our pharmacists are frontline workers. Yeah, a lot of pharmacists have been. A lot of pharmacy staff have been. Some haven't. I don't know the answer to why that is, but thank you. 1850-715-996. If you have missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, and it's been a busy couple of hours, you can pick it up this afternoon on the podcast, which goes up on all your platforms in mid-afternoon. And it's free. It'll be available also on the Cork's 96FM phone app. Now, it's been a lovely few days in terms of weather, some marvellous sunrises and sunsets forecast for the weekend on my favourite weather app. I know I push the hell out of this. I'm not on a commission, but I do push the hell out of it. It's telling us that the weekend is going to be lovely. Now, not particularly hot, but Saturday and Sunday, bright and sunny across Cork. Monday, bright and sunny. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, cloudy, kind of cloudy, but sunny spells. And then Friday again into the bank holiday weekend, sunny with a high of 14, 15 degrees. There's a prediction coming in across the UK of what they call a Spanish 
plume. Now, the last time we got a Spanish plume sitting on Ireland was, I remember, around 2018. And we all remember the magnificent summer we had in 2018. And going back beyond that, I found a connection to the summer of 2013, which was a Mediterranean standard summer in Ireland. And there was a Spanish plume came and sat on top of us then. So what is a Spanish plume? What happens when one comes and sits on top of you? Is there one headed our way or headed Britain's way over the next week? And most of all, what's the forecast like for the next couple of weeks? Because we want to get the barbecue out and we want to put the shorts on. So let us go to a climate change researcher at UCC, Cahal Nolan. Cahal, good morning. A very good morning, PJ. Uh, the weather has been lovely all week, and, and I think you'll be able to tell us that it's going to stay lovely for, for the foreseeable few days to come. But what is a Spanish plume? It's a very good question, PJ. So a Spanish plume essentially is when we see a very warm air over the Iberian Peninsula, typically. It becomes advected, so it means it rises up over the lands. And essentially what we see typically to get it to Ireland, I guess, is that we have a high-pressure system that's located usually to our east, and then it sort of steers up that very warm air, and then eventually it makes its way up across the Bay of Biscay, and we see this elevated plume of very warm air, bringing much higher temperatures across many parts of Ireland, and indeed into the UK as well. So effectively its pathway is generally blocked, but sometimes the pathway clears and up it comes. Is that right? That would be it, essentially. So normally, I guess, when we see our warmest conditions, they typically come associated with a Spanish plume. It's when that very warm air over the continent becomes affected. It gets carried to the north, gets carried to the northwest, and eventually it makes its way up across Ireland and the UK. And sometimes then it can get here and sit here. And and that happened in 2018, I think. The one I remember most was 2013. We had a Mediterranean summer. What it does then, isn't it, uh, Carl, if it manages to sit here for a while, it keeps all that nasty stuff from the Atlantic from getting near us. Generally speaking, I suppose, so I suppose to look at an example that people will remember, obviously, was 2018. In 2018, we had a block and anticyclone, so a large area of high pressure located pretty much directly across the country for, as we said, an extended period of time, really from May through into the middle of July. Yeah. And when that high pressure is in place for such a long period of time, it allows the temperatures to climb that, I suppose, very quickly each time. So the heat essentially builds day on day. As the soil becomes drier, it's easier then as well for the air temperatures to just rise quite rapidly from the morning into the afternoon. And that's when we see those pretty high temperatures. So 2018, at various stages, there were different Spanish plumes that would have brought, I suppose, exceptional periods of heat across the country but in general it was the fact that we had such a large high pressure located directly across the country for such a large period of time that gave us the really warm temperatures as you said Mediterranean style summer they'll always be welcome I know climate change activists don't like it when it's very hot but they will always be welcome for those of us who particularly this year when we're facing another summer at at home so what are we facing into over the next few days Cahill? Over the next few days, we can certainly expect to see a continuation of the very pleasant conditions that we've seen for the last couple of days now. So we do expect to see some good sunny spells over the course of the weekend. Temperatures, typically by day, about 15 to 17 degrees Celsius, probably warmest a little bit further inland or over parts of West Cork. Nearer to the coast, along the east, we certainly will see that easterly wind at times. And that can make it feel quite cool on the coast. But once you're inland, once you're sheltered from the east wind, it would feel particularly pleasant. And then looking ahead through next week, we will see a subtle change as we go through, let's say, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. We'd see our wind switching back around to a more northerly direction for a time. 
But even with that, at this time of the year, a north wind in Cork, it's not going to bring that much of a drop in the temperatures across the county. We will typically see, I suppose, temperatures coming in at around about 14 to 15 degrees. In the breeze, it will be a little bit cooler, but certainly at this time of the year, in the sunshine, it'll feel pleasantly warm. We could we could, we could, could live with that, certainly. Um, there have been some spectacular, I don't know whether they're connected, I'm sure you can tell me, there have been some spectacular sunrises and sunsets across Cork in the last few days. Are they anywhere related to weather conditions overhead? They certainly are. So, I mean, we've seen really some quite beautiful sunsets and sunrises, as you rightly said, over the course of the last couple of days. I think the main reason behind this is that at the moment, let's say, the the air mass is directly across us. It's it's one which contains quite a little bit of high clouds. So there's quite a little bit of high cloud up, up at higher altitudes. And what this tends to do is that when you get the sunrise in the morning, it just adds that extra little bit of colour that provides those really quite vivid sunrises and sunsets that we've seen. During the day, it's, it's not really as noticeable. It might come across maybe a little bit more hazy, let's say. It's not crystal clear blue sky. But certainly then for the sunrises and sunsets, it's just fantastic. Mm. I mean, if there's any photographers across the county, I'm sure they've been oh, really the most with the last couple of days. I have to say, and maybe I'm wrong, I prefer looking out now and seeing what I'm seeing from the Studio One window is a slight bit of a haze. Now, experience has taught me that unless we're in the middle of high summer, that haze actually, that's a little nicer than really high, 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 high skies because that brings a little bit warmer. It can. I guess I suppose, I think that's maybe that we associate typically when we see these hazy conditions. When we see hazy conditions usually in Ireland, it means that our wind is in the east or the southeast. So it's kind of bringing across a little bit more, let's say, pollution from the continent Mm. as opposed to the crystal clear air that we typically see coming in from the Atlantic. So I think it's an association kind of impact there in that when we see the hazy conditions, we associate it with extreme warmth in this country. Whereas there's not that much of a difference, let's say, really. So if you had a southerly winds, direct south wind, not southeast, which is bringing in kind of more of that pollution from the continent. Mm. But if you had a direct south wind that was coming in from across the Atlantic, you can have those crystal clear blue skies, of course, with pretty warm temperatures as well. So I think it's a little bit tricky the eye, perhaps, in that case. Okay. So finally, Cahill, it's worth buying the bag of charcoal or topping up the gas and cleaning off the barbecue because you may well get to use it in the next uh, week or 10 days. You certainly will get the chance to use it in the next week to 10 days. Looking ahead even beyond, I suppose, midweek of next week, we still expect to see high pressure within the area, keeping conditions pretty settled. And of course, as we head in towards May as well, we'll probably see an increase in the temperatures too. Marvellous. Great to have good news from you on a Friday. Thank you very much. Cahill Nolan, uh, climate change researcher at UCC and also a forecaster on the Irish Weather Channel. We love having him on the show because we get good news like that. So, lads, tis here to stay in some way, shape or form right up to the bank holiday weekend, which actually causes a small problem for me. I'm just watching here. Uh, if anyone's interested in the snooker, Anthony McGill now uh, 7-4 up on Ronnie. I think it might, actually, it might have gone to 8-4 and they're gone to a mid-session interval. Ronnie has massive fan base in Cork, so I just wanted to bring you up to speed on that. 8-4 and they're gone to mid-session interval. 18, but the problem it causes for me is that I love the sunny weather and I love getting out in the back garden to enjoy it but I'm addicted to the snooker so I'm torn I'm like the old song I'm torn between two lovers for the week to come Can we just talk
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Still stuff coming in on whether or not we should find the parents when their youngsters have gone off the rails a bit. Rachel totally agrees. Something needs to be done. Boot camps are a great idea. Along with help for the troubled guys. I have four teenagers by my side for the past year of COVID. To my upset... When they, they should be out having the best time of their lives. Thankfully, I've brought them up to care about people. Respect is my mantra. I can't express my pride for them. I tell them regularly how proud of them I am. 1850-715-996. Now, you'll remember we started our week with a conversation with Una Ring. And Una has got together with Eve McDowell. Both of them are victims of stalking. You know the story of what James Steele did to Una Ring. He's now serving time. We also heard of what uh, Eve was put through by her stalker. And the two women have come together to push for a change in the law. They want a change in the law to make stalking a crime in its own right. Because it's not at the moment. The Department of Justice seems to think, or seems to insist, that it comes under harassment. And you, Una and I spoke about that on Monday. When you're lying awake at night and you're waiting for somebody to come to your house because they've told you they're going to come to your house and rape you and your daughter, that's that's not harassment. And you know, and and don't tell me it's harassment because it's way beyond it. Mm. You know, and I was I was lying awake and I was saying, like, what if they fall asleep in the car, the guards who are who are staking out the house? What if they fall asleep and he comes in? You know, what if? something happens and they don't see him they blink for a minute and, and or they check something on their phone and they don't see him coming to my house you know all this was going through my mind like I knew they were outside hmm. but I had the fear because he said he was coming to my house you know and I knew he was going to do it and the guards knew he was going to do it but like I was still afraid that if something could happen that if it was raining very heavily if they hadn't their, like if they hadn't their wipers on while it was raining so heavily what if they didn't see him coming? And the point she makes, that's not harassment. And that should be a crime of stalking in its own right, to put someone through that. Uh, Una also mentioned to me on uh, Monday that they're receiving an awful lot of help in this and support from the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork. Mary Crilly, good morning to you. Morning, morning PJ. And the two women are going on the Late Late Show tonight. Uh, They're really going on the Late Late Show and I mean all we're looking for is to call it what it is. I mean, you know, there is harassment legislation, there is all this going on but just to give you an example, say in Scotland in a 10 year period before stalking was made a crime there was something like 70 reports. Within uh, four months of stalking been named in legislation of the 150 reports because people weren't reporting because they might just look it up and say, well, stalking isn't a crime. Um, so we just want it named because it is very much happening. It is an issue and we want it named. And we do have a battle on our hands because the department seem to have stuck their heels in and we're going to try and unstick them. But what um, 
we need is kind of these two women are amazing. I met them just by chance. There's a woman, Ruth Maxwell, who herself would have been a victim of um, assault in Clondalkin in Dublin. You might remember years ago where those three women um, had been raped in Clondalkin and she was one who was attacked and she managed to you know, save herself. He had a knife and mm. she lost the use of her hand. She gathered people together a few months ago or uh, I think six weeks ago. That's when I met them. And these two women were in that group on Zoom. So we cut, we cut up the next day and that's how it all kind of spun out because I thought, oh my God, these women really want to do something. And if I'm able to kind of help or be the wind behind them in any kind of way, um, it'd be a privilege to do so. That's our involvement, just to be behind them and support them. But the more I learned about it, because... Um, do you know what I mean? We can wander around thinking we know everything. I think we know as much as we know about an area. I wasn't completely um, aware of kind of what the law around stalking was. I mm. really wasn't. And then I think it hit me when first time I met Una. And I said, where would you go for help? And she says, well, I wouldn't go to a rape crisis because I hadn't been raped. And I thought, oh, Jesus, well, what do you need? And she said, any kind of a website that said stalking in it, anything that said stalking. And that's how we set up stalking.ie. Mm-hmm. And we have a petition on it. And, you know, the women are taking part in a webinar um, on the, the 6th of May, 7, May at 7pm, which we'd love people to come to just to show the support to the women. The webinar will only be on for an hour and it will be kind of you know, talking about what happened and trying to get change. I really don't know what the department's issue is about changing it because stalking is happening. I think people can see. Like, I, I think, you know, as you said on the interview the other day, because I heard it when a woman says she was going to get a tattoo with my name and date of birth in case I was found in the river. Oh, my God. I mean, the hairs right now are up in the back of my head thinking about that. It's appalling. Mary, reading over the, the legislation uh, from the purely layman's uh, aspect. You have to say that they've got a really strong point here. The department insists, well, harassment covers it, but there is a line that's crossed and it's not delineated in the law as I can read it. Would you agree I, with me? I, I would agree because I don't think the law covers the whole obsessiveness of stalking, of kind of, you know, everywhere you go, every time you breathe, or you're being watched all the time, you're being stalked. You know, harassment, I think, is when somebody comes across somebody and they harass them, which I think by somebody in a workplace or online is horrific as it is. But stalking is continuous where you're looking behind your shoulder every second of the day where they know who you are, they know what you are. They're really stalking you. They know your thoughts. They know everything about you. Mm. And the idea that that isn't named in Irish legislation is appalling. What struck me particularly, and I've spoken twice now to to Una, and as I said before, I'll say it again, she's one of the most impressive interviewees I've had on this programme in many a long day. But the point that she makes is, even though she knows James Steele can't get near her, she still imagines that she sees him in the supermarket. Like, that's that's long-term damage. It's totally long-term damage. I mean, I think she'd hop, you know, if somebody even came up behind her or, you know, I think with the focus that you have on the campaign now, it's kind of helping them um, not feel this so intensely, but it is still there for them constantly, constantly. And I just find the fact that they're going through their own trauma and their own memories and are able to take part in this campaign, I find it phenomenal. And that's why I really would plead to people to sign a petition because even when we went from one to a hundred, we about two and a half thousand signatures um, the lift that gave those two women was phenomenal. And other women have been um, contacting us saying this happened to me too. And men, mm. not to the same extent, but men as well. And that's what a stalking thing is about. It's not just changing legislation. The two said to me yesterday, 
that when legislation is changed, they want to get involved in education, they want to get involved in training, they want to highlight it, and that's where they're at. It's not about, you know, revenge on anybody. Um, it's just about letting people know if this happens to you, it's real, and what you feel is real. And to say to people, if they do think they're being followed, trust themselves. You know, gather whatever evidence they can, photographs, times, dates, all that kind of stuff, because the guards will need something to work off. Um, because I think forever we're kind of minimising it or we're saying, oh, I'm imagining it. Just take a note, because in my experience, there's so many good guys out there, and if they thought you were taking notes of them, and the reason why, they really wouldn't mind. They might say, Jesus, I wouldn't dream of doing that, but I don't mind you, you know, taking down notes or seeing whatever you have to do. Do you know what I mean? Instead of just um, minimising and saying, I'm imagining it, because it is happening. It really is happening Lastly and briefly, Mary, and you mentioned this before, I just want to reiterate it, and often when you and I would speak about something you would get a, a, a follow-on. Since Una and Eve began to speak out, you've had people come to you with similar stories. Oh, totally. And we've had people emailing into info at stalking.ie. Um, quite a lot of people, some just wanting to say how amazing two women are, but others kind of saying, I'm reporting this and this is what's happening. And others saying, I don't know where to go from here. And um, They are really kind of getting in touch to let us know what's happening. Okay, all right, leave it there for today. Thank you very much. That's Mary Crilly from the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. Info at stalking.ie. If you have been going through something and you want to contact somebody who completely gets it and will come back to you and help you in any way that they can. And the two women, uh, Una Ring from Cork and Eve McDowell from Galway, are on the Late Late Show tonight with Tubbs. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Regina's at work and she is desperate for updates on the Stuker and thanks me for doing it. Yeah, Ronnie O'Sullivan in action this morning in the second round at the Crucible and he is trailing eight frames to four against Anthony McGill. A huge fan base, of course, for Ronnie in Cork. Uh, long way to go in that in that match. Long way to go. It's first to thirteen in the second round. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. A vaccinator. Here's another one about vaccines and needles and how we inject and what John Campbell says. A vaccinator is a skill, and there are all kinds of things to know and things that can go wrong. One particular point is that in Ireland we only use one size of needle. Uh, certainly in the centre I'm familiar with anyway. I know there's a shortage of needles at the moment because of the pandemic, but it's not an ideal situation. Other European countries have a selection of needles to cover eventualities. There's a whole little different little rabbit hole that we could go down for sure. 1850-715-996. Coming back to John, his his latest... um, his latest video goes through quite a lot in terms of vaccines and figures globally. And he he was looking at the figures globally and how in English-speaking countries, figures compared to the rollout of vaccines. Here's one of the points he makes in his latest video. This is data from the uh, Centers for Disease Control in the States. Vaccinated people who became infected, uh, there was one in... 
13,275 people that had been vaccinated became infected. Only one person in 194,000 that had been vaccinated requires hospitalisation. And only one person in over a million who'd been vaccinated died. So we see here the tremendous effect of vaccination in terms of being severely ill and requiring hospitalisation or indeed of, of dying is dramatically lowered. So that's the latest from John's daily video of how he's comparing the numbers of cases and how they're behaving in the English-speaking world and how the vaccine rollouts are going in the various parts. His latest video, I might would tell you, has also got some very, very, very distressing footage from India where it is now completely and totally out of control. And then he makes the point, the numbers we're getting out of India are probably more. Probably more. Than we than 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 we um than we're getting eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let us go to a new idea for a reality TV show. Now this is the berries. Imagine winning a trip to go to the International Space Station in twenty twenty three. The winner of a reality TV show. The it's it's an incredible prize for a new program called Space Hero and I'm joined internationally from Deborah who's in Ibiza and Thomas in Germany. Deborah Sass and Thomas Reamer are the co-founders of this show. Hi to you both. Hello. Hi Deborah. Hi Thomas. You're a little bit low if we can boost it there at the other end. Guys, we'll try and get them up. We're taking this is a live Zoom conference that we're taking with Deborah in Ibiza and Thomas in Germany. And you're the people behind uh, Space Hero. I'll go to you first, Thomas. Where did the idea come from? Well, the idea to democratize access to space, right? Trigger, that's what we are after. And um, when you think about these things, then you understand that this is a global uh, uh, endeavor. Because a lot of people all over the globe have the aspiration to travel to space one day. And uh, we want to help them do that. And uh, the idea comes from us being from a media entertainment background. We have 25 years in those. We started out in the music industry in the 90s. We can imagine how great that was. And uh, moved on to building you know, technical platforms, e-commerce stores, uh, Debs um, helped launch, you know, one of the some of the famous, most famous apps that you still have on your phone, mm. like Shazam, for example. And um, with that background, combined with the space industry knowledge, right, we put the show together, and that's where the idea comes from. Now, Deborah, the idea is of someone would work their way through this show and eventually get to the International Space Station. But in order to get to space, you've got to be have huge qualifications, don't you? You've got to have science degrees, medical degrees. You've got to be a really well-qualified person to go to somewhere like the International Space Station. Or am I wrong? You are wrong. And isn't that fantastic? So, not, not that you're wrong, but that we are democratizing space travel and making it accessible to everybody. You, Yes, of course, you need to be... Uh, trained, you need to have a level of um, physicalness to be able to be in zero gravity for any amount of time. 
that everything can be taught to you, which is actually kind of cool. So anybody in the world can apply to become a space hero. And where do they apply and when would it all start to happen? So we, we will announce our app at the end of the year. It will be free to everybody. Um, and they just need to go on to spacehero.org and become an insider to keep up with all the exciting information before we launch publicly. Okay. We're going to follow up with this. I'm going to have to pull back from it and take a break for a second because the sound on that conference isn't the best, but I'm talking to Deborah Sass, who is in Ibiza, and Thomas Riemer, who is in Germany, the co-founders of Space Hero. Uh, Spacehero.org is their uh, website, but the chance, and they're saying they're democratising space. I like that. The argument they make is that anybody can win this show and anybody can go to space as a prize for a reality TV show. Now, I have, as you know, a caustic relationship with reality TV. But yes, I'd nearly enter this for the prize. Uh, Liam, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. What what wedding is on today? Thank you. For, you may not recall, but I was on your show maybe three months ago complaining about the COVID and only eight people going to a wedding. Oh, yes. Do you recall? You probably don't remember that. You've so many. I people. remember a few calls like that yeah, and people yeah, upset yeah. about it. When so, yeah, yeah. The day has arrived and we're all dressed up now and ready to go. And unfortunately, there's only eight of us going. But what I would like to do is to send wishes to my, all my brothers and sisters, all 11 of them. Well, start and to the start. Who's getting married, Liam? My daughter, my baby. My baby. Yes, Joanna yes. Sullivan. Joanna Monk Sullivan. Down. And she's get, and she, from where? Monkstown. Monkstown. And she's Monk getting Monk married to who? Pat Ryan. Pat Ryan. And where's At Pat? One o'clock. Pat is from Tipperary. Right. She couldn't find a decent cockman, but sure, she didn't do too bad. <laughs> and <laughs> one o'clock where? In Monkstown. In the church in Monkstown in one o'clock. Right. And all eight of us are going. Right. So just, it's I just eight of you and the priest allowed. That's it. That's it. And I'd like to wish her the best. And my wife would love to wish her the best. But I'd love to just send a wishes to my brothers and sisters and to my wife's brothers and sisters and I'd love to name them if you don't mind have your time drive on by. as long as they're not 180 of them like drive on there's only 16 only 16 why not listen you're, you're having a wedding in the middle of a pandemic and these are I all know. these are all people who would be there yes exactly they're, go so for I'll it mate. go for the wife family which is Tomas Catherine Michael Chris uh, I'm getting uh, sorry uh, Una and my own brothers and sisters, Michael, Martin, Liam, Paddy, Mary, Christopher, Jared, Kathleen, John, Anthony, Breda, Paul, Fidelma, and Anne-Marie. And unfortunately, none of them are going to be there, which is so disappointing. But anyway, that's great. How is she? How's Joanne? She's absolutely gorgeous. She's, she's beautiful looking. Mm. So looking forward to our day and all. And we'll make the best of it. Yeah, yeah. So I thank you for giving me the you're time. Delight, to to you're, it, it's disappointing, though. And I mean, I suppose yeah. you can't you can't celebrate afterwards or anything, can you? No, no nothing. No, lucky enough, we're going to the Montanati Hotel and we're staying overnight and there's eight of us going and that's it. Right. No more. Um, but, but however, we'll have a party in the future. Will you be allowed to have, I mean, I don't know what the limitations no, are in the hotel. Nobody. No, just the eight of us. And we're yes. all staying overnight. So right, but I, I mean, are you allowed to have a meal together or what? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Right, yes. right. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, so. And they'll do a great job for you at the moment. Uh, absolutely, you know absolutely. They will, of course. Because uh, we, we had our own wedding there 
50 odd years ago, and my daughter had her wedding there, so we're looking after them. And so they're looking yeah, after back them. In, back in your day, it would have been the country club. Yes, right. It was the country club. The country club. Would you? And you'd have been probably. Were you in the in the big ballroom upstairs? Or we were. We you were. Well. There was a two hundred of a cell with the other boats. Anyway, you imagine. know what? That was a great. I played as a DJ. I played many a wedding up there. Oh yeah, lovely. It's lovely up there. And the view over the city is just beautiful. Ah, stop! Will you? And what they what they've done with the bar up there now? Oh, oh my man! And the outsides are absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. beautiful. And listen, a great day to yourself and to Joanne and to Pat and to all yes. the family that can't be there. And what's what's your wife's name again, Liam? And and to to all the family. And you and know thank what? You for my call. Not she's, at all. They, they would do. We were delighted to hear last week that Montanati won awards at the CBA Awards. They are a yes. brilliant hotel, staffed oh, by brilliant absolutely. people, and they will do a wonderful day They're and a wonderful living. stay for you. Have a Thank great time. Take care now. Cheers. Cheers, Bye. Liam. Cheers, Liam. 1857-15996. That's nice now on a Friday. They, they were hoping against hope to be able to have more than eight, but they can't. So they've eight in the church, and he listed off a load of people who would be there, and then they're going to go to the hotel, stay over. They can have a meal there, and... All that and the hotel will do will do will do just wonderful for them. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. There was something I heard there. Oh yeah, um, what, what was that I wanted to say? Oh, do, oh yes. Um, on friends. Do you remember we were talking about friends and maybe have you dumped some of your friends or have you drifted from some of your friends? Were there some of those who you were kind of happy to drift from? We were talking to Anne Marie Craven earlier on about it. Jer. Uh, who describe, is, it, is this off Twitter? Jer Comesty Ghostwriter says, Yes, I have lost friends due to their behaviour in the pandemic. You know a person's character when they ask you to drop in for a cuppa or for a COVID haircut during a pandemic. A good way to spot a scumbag now is look at their hair. Now, Jer, um, I don't... I kind of worry a bit about the last bit because I'm sitting here today with a bazer. My my head can feel the air for the first time in weeks and weeks and weeks. And it's not a scumbag haircut because my daughter did it. So anyone seeing me in the street, if you met me in the street now, Jerry, you'd think I was a scumbag. But my daughter, who I've said before on this she's a veterinary nurse and as part of that she trained to groom the animals and she's bloody good at it and she's grooming this old dog, her father now and doing a fine job so I'm not a scum if anybody sees me with nice short hair it's not an illegal COVID haircut my daughter did it in the kitchen last night right, we tried this earlier on this morning and the old phone line collapsed so we'll see if we can if we can make it happen this time. And this is Freedom of the City. It's a project at the Gluxman Gallery, uh, which has nothing to do, as I said earlier, about getting anybody into the City Hall and giving them a nice scroll for all they've done for Cork. But it is a great idea from the Gluxman. And once again, let's hope the line holds. I'm joined by Fiona Kearney. Fiona, good morning. Hi there, PJ. Thanks for your patience. Now, what is it you're doing? So this is a project that is going to involve over 1,000 young people in Cork City doing projects and drawings and expressing their views on what the future of the city should be. 
And thanks to our fantastic colleagues in City Council, the planners who are working on the City Development Plan, they are going to review and take into account what these young people are saying and feed that into the actual Cork City Development Plan. So at its heart, it's about enabling the young people of our city to shape the future of their city. I see. How do they get involved? So we've selected over 50 schools. Um, as you know, the city is a little bit bigger now, so those schools are from my own local school in Kiro, uh over to Glanmire, up to Rathpeakin, down in the, all over the city. And we're working with children from primary, second, and even our own third level students in UCC. And um, they're going to be working on um, uh, creative workshops uh, and answering questions such as, you know, what would co- make a cork a better place to learn and play? And we know from talking to the teachers that they are incredibly focused on climate action. You know, we've seen that again and again, the kind of interest and demands even from our young people to take action about a greener future. And that's already coming through and some of the beautiful imaginings that they've made with lots of trees everywhere and more green spaces, more spaces to kind of, you know, walk and be in the city. And I think one of the things that we're all aware of from the pandemic is that need for better quality outdoor spaces. And Cork has taken a real leadership role in this. So it's fantastic to see that this is something the young people want. Um, fabulously, there's also been a demand for more ice cream vans on Patrick Street. So <laughs> I don't know if we'll get that into the city development. You can sympathise, though. You can. <laughs> I uh, listen on a day like today. Wouldn't it be fantastic to be strolling down Patrick Street with your ice cream cone? And I think it's that sense of fun and I suppose just enthusiasm and just different ideas that they might bring that kind of the adults, those of us that are in the room, sometimes just mightn't kind of go, well, you know, what would it mean to have maybe an ice cream van in the city? What needs to happen for that to occur? What kind of places do we need to create? So and where, can, where can the rest of us see what's going on with this? Well, we're really hoping that the Glucksman will be open to the public next month. And we are planning in June to do a big showcase of all the work that the children have created over it, because they're going to be working on this for the coming weeks. And in June, we'll do a big showcase and everyone will be welcome to come in. But what we're really thrilled about is that the our colleagues in Cork City Council, the planners are going to come in and our own colleagues in UCC Centre for Planning, Education and Research and genuinely inform it. And our fantastic Lord Mayor, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, you know, really put it as a marker down that we have to listen to these young people, that it is their imagination that's going to, you know, maybe create new spaces for, because this development plan is taking us out to 2028. Um, so we, I, come, come and look at their pictures of ice cream rounds, the need for more trees, it'll all be up in the Glucksman in June. Um, and you're hoping, just before I let you yeah. go, you're hoping mm-hmm. to get open. It's Monday week, isn't it? We really hope so, yeah. Um, I mean, that's what we're working towards. As you know, we've had to be very flexible throughout this whole pandemic. Um, And that's why we did this project, because this project has gone out into the schools. It wasn't reliant on us being open. Um, And it's it's something that, you know, we've created kind of actual materials and workshops that they can do, because I think 
while it's so important to be doing so much online, I think it's also important that kids can just get creative themselves okay. at their kitchen table. Okay. So that's what this has been about. We might catch up again about the galleries and stuff reopening on Monday week. It's a great idea. Freedom of the City, Glucksman. I'm sure if you Google that, all the details will come up. With young people bringing their ideas to play. And you know, we've had a bit of a, a tongue lashing this morning about young people and the stuff that they're up to and all that. But we must stress again and again and again that, you know, for the most part, they're great kids and they're doing great things and we should never, ever forget that. Thank you, Fiona. A couple of things before I go. We had a call in Cove. Uh, the Cove area is very big and we got a call about the numbers that I mentioned with regard to Cove, the 14-day case numbers in Cove and the up to the 19th of April, which would have been Monday, there had been 21 new cases of COVID-19 in the Cove electoral area. And thank you to the caller who pointed out, would I please mention that it is a very large area. And it is. It's not just the town of Cove. And they were a bit upset uh, with that. And they thought that maybe it could be misinterpreted that Cove itself, as, as a village or town, town, God, town, is, is, uh, it has a problem. It doesn't. The Cove electoral area had 21 cases uh, in the two weeks up to Monday. Happy to clarify that because people are very worried. Speaking of Cove, Jim in Cove says, I think these kids should be charged and given fines or sentences. Not to be served then until they're over 18. And a 15 or 16-year-old, knowing that they're starting a final sentence for their 18, would, I think, mend their ways. And Andrew says, Warning PJ, the finding of parents of antisocial kids is in no way new. It's an old proposal of one Tony Blair in the UK, which to an extent was a success. Kids will only be kids for so long. They have to stand up and act like adults. They will be able to act as adults in their application for the PUP. Well, you'd hope, Andrew, against all hopes, my friend, that we'd soon be rid of that blasted PUP and the kids are t- that are 14 and 15 now certainly won't ever need to worry about a POP because, or PUP because the need for it will hopefully be well gone by the time they get near anything other uh, than working or anything close to a working wage.